The great philosopher Kierkegaard said, life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. Looking back only results in learning for people who have that time to think. And many of us are so busy with day-to-day -day demands that we rarely have time to reflect. And that's why we started What I Wish I Knew. It's for those moments when you realize that just a bit of insight might have come in handy if you had it in advance. I'm Mike Irwin. And I'm Simon Dore. So we talk with people from all walks of life, from startup entrepreneurs to Fortune 500 CEOs, professional athletes to weekend warriors, from artists and to designers, to even engineers who became designers. From those who dream to those who dream then actually do. They all have three things in common. None are perfect. All are humble and each have truly incredible learnings. In What I Wish I Knew, they share these lessons with you. So welcome to What I Wish I Knew with Mike Irwin and Simon Daw. We're delighted today to have Matt Franken with us. And Matt is founder and CEO of Aunt Fanny's, which is a brand of people-friendly, pet-friendly cleaners, hand and dish soaps, and um, pet solutions. So Matt, welcome to What I Wish I Knew. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the time and the interest and the opportunity to talk about whatever it is you guys are going to talk about. Fantastic. So Matt, just, um, we'll get into the business a little bit later, but tell us how you got here. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it feels like by mistake, uh, but my my journey started as as a as a youth in Florida. I come from a very midwestern upbringing, um, from the bowels of Ohio and Youngstown, and moved down to Florida uh, when I was less than a year old. And so, uh, grew up with no shirt, no shoes, and just in a bathing suit, um, which was which was fantastic. Um, and ended up at the University of Florida for college, uh, which uh, has come to be a degree that is worth far more now than it was when I earned it. Um, and I went into private finance, um, private wealth specifically uh, for a Swiss-based financial institution. Uh, and I worked for 60 families um, that were all either C-level corporate executives or entrepreneurs um, and worked with matriarchs, patriarchs, sons, daughters, grandkids, and the whole lot. And um, I think it was in that journey that started to uh, not only see deals and companies like my own that crossed my desk, um, but I also started building a family of my own. Uh, and after having a extraordinarily sweet, easygoing firstborn daughter um, and mom and I thinking we were the most expert parents on the planet and had licked parenting and were ready to write our book on how to parent, we had our, our second child uh, and easily our most difficult one, our son. Um, and he, he, quite frankly, was sick very, very early on in his uh, life um, and as an infant had really severe reflux uh, and then that developed into really severe uh, eczema to the point where he was uh, bloody both in the crooks of his elbows, behind his knees, on his neck, around his face, uh, then developed asthma um, and a host of other autoimmune issues that culminated in uh, something called vitiligo. And vitiligo is where your immune system turns on the pigment of your skin. Um, and you've likely seen folks walking down the street that maybe have a, a white patch on their hair that isn't necessarily gray hair or a white patch on their skin. And um, 
he, we had done quite a bit already as far as interventionally um, to help improve his health. Uh, and that was the point where we felt like we really needed to double down. Uh, the other issues were uh, less visible. And this was one where it started around his neck. And once it reaches your face, it goes around your eyes and mouth. Um, and so it would be the first thing that everyone would see, even for a small child. So while we did huge menu overhauls and a bunch of other things that did help with his health, uh, we were unwilling for him to be, you know, for that to be the first thing that people saw um, when he walked into the room for the rest of his life. So uh, that's when we doubled down and started talking to uh, our physician set and they mentioned us, you need to think about looking at the, the chemicals in your home that you're using as it relates to cleaning, pest, whatever else, um, and examine those. And we said, well, we're already natural buyers. I mean, we, we buy natural products. And we're like, well, that's fine. But, you know, generally it's a sustainable ingredient, meaning that we can grow it uh, and it, it can grow and grow and grow and we can repeat the process. But they essentially take that plant molecule, they break it, they add what they want, subtract what they want, um, and still are making something that's synthetic uh, and unknown evolutionarily to the human body. And so um, with, with that, uh, it kind of set me on my journey. There are a few additional tidbits and pieces of information that catalyzed uh, me getting to where I am now, but that's, that's in a nutshell where I come from. You know, it's a fascinating story, Matt. And, uh, you know, I think as a, as a parent of three myself, I, you know, I can't put myself in your shoes, but I can certainly relate to, you know, the motivation that you must have had to do anything to help resolve the issues, you know, for your son. Um, tell us a little bit about how you, you know, what started as a, as a, as a quest to, to solve the issue for your son, how did that then sort of pivot to, to becoming a business? Yeah, and this is where I say it's almost by mistake um, because what happened is we, we felt very alone. You, you start to, when you're talking to your doctors or you're looking, my son also has um, anaphylaxis-induced uh, food allergies. And so you can always see, especially when he was little, he's now 15, um, but you could see when he would go over to someone else's house, the panic on the parent's face, knowing that they might have to give him something to drink or giving some, give him something to eat. Um, so, you know, you, you start to learn to prepack food and there's just, a, there's a whole kind of essence that comes with a, a child that isn't well, um, that is, is, impacts them socially. Uh, and impacts parents too. And so as part of my research after, um, you know, listening to what the doctors told me, I, I found out a couple of alarming stats. Uh, the first of which is that the air in your home can be up to 500% more polluted than the air outdoors, just as a result of the chemicals you're using in it. Um, the second stat, uh, which was more alarming to me, believe it or not, you know, if the first one wasn't, you know, big enough, is that more than half of all kids have some form of autoimmune or some form of chronic illness these days, much of it autoimmune driven. So when you start to look at uh, ADHD or Tourette's or you get into middle age with 
uh, thyroid disease, or you get into later age with Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. A lot of those are autoimmune driven and they're very new in the last 70, 80, 90 years. Um, and so I think it was at that point where I recognized it wasn't just me and my family that were going through this. It, it was a whole lot of other people that felt the same way I did. And it was at that point where I really felt if there's a way that I can help shorten the learning curve for families just like mine, um, I want to be able to do that. And, you know, hell or high water, even though my background is in consumer products, it's, uh, it's not in marketing, it's not in the traditional things, chemistry that you might think that, um, you know, a person in my position with my company would come from. I was, I was hell bent on making sure that no one had to feel the way we did. So Matt, um, you know, the story is, is astounding, that, that kind of pivot point, as, as Mike asked earlier about how you got towards the business that you'll describe a bit more detail. But how do you, you know, you, you described earlier as well, your, your background is English, um, you have no science. How do you, you know, how did you still pivot that in terms of the energy and drive that you must have given to it but the kind of filtering system, because, and I would imagine the filter, what's out there now, you know, social media, online, and all the rest of it, there's lots of data that is true and valid, and there's lots of stuff that is, is um, you know, is out there and is meant to be believed. Um, how, did you, how did you filter that? How did you bring that together? Because that's quite a move for somebody of your experience at that point to kind of yeah. move in, into this science world. Yeah, totally. And I can tell you that um, I knew that there was a whole lot I didn't know. And uh, my ego isn't, I'm not a death grip founder. My ego isn't big, big enough to um, believe that I know everything. And so what I did very early on, if not immediately, is start talking to people that are far smarter than I am about the topics that I knew we would need to tackle uh, and really at that at stage pitched them on being a part of the project. And so um, we did bring in chemists of all kind. We have brought in um, evaluators of all kind. We do a lot of third party testing. How do you build the foundations of innovation? Because you've got on the one side, you know, lots of products and ideas and formulas that could take precedent, but how do you, how do you bring the experience, you know, that's around you into something that's, um, you know, uh, I guess best in class and to, and to the market? Sure. We do with a lot of help. Uh, that's the short answer. Um, and in both a, a conventional and unconventional way. Uh, so we do use conventional cleaning chemists, conventional pest chemists, but they're usually asked to touch our products in the innovation pipeline. Um, at the top of the innovation funnel, we utilize fairly unconventional folks um, to start our innovation process. And as an example, we have access to, to one of the world's foremost ethnobotanists. Um, we've used food formulators to help us with our cleaning line. We've used beauty formulators to help us with our, our pest line. Uh, and so, you know, our, we really feel it's our job to seek out some of the most uh, unique 
uh, and, and safest um, ingredients. And uh, we, we feel it's our job to continue to explore the highest standards of, of wellness for this type of, of category, which candidly just really isn't done typically. Um, I mean, I can tell you, uh, you'll, you'll hear it before most, but you know, our entire liquid cleaning line has now been clinically tested, dermatologist tested, and is verified hypoallergenic. Um, you just don't see that on typical household cleaning products. You may see it on a laundry product, but you're not going to see it on an everyday cleaning product. So we do things a little bit differently for sure. And just with that, Matt, um, you, you mentioned earlier about making sure the efficacy is right. Again, you know, just from a, I guess, a science viewpoint for, for, for those listeners out there, but I'm, I'm, I'm very curious. How do you build that modeling? Because you, you obviously want to build and ratchet up a degree of efficacy, I guess. But how do you, how do you match that alongside the careful, steady as you go, making sure it's, it's going to be the efficacy that you want? Yeah, I mean, I think that's all part of the process, and it's why why at the bottom of our innovation funnel we've got the more conventional scientists and formulators that are there um, to ensure that there is that level of efficacy. Um, you know, it's interesting because cleaning, as as I'm, I'm sure you know, uh, being from the chemical world, um, isn't regulated, at least not here in the states, uh, outside of sanitizing. Um, so so cleaning and, and how something gets cleaned is, or can be quite subjective. Um, Matt, you've got a line of, of pest control products. How does that, how does that really work? Cause that's usually something that's completely separate from cleaning. Yeah, I think we, we look at our brand as indoor wellness. And when you think about the chemicals that you use inside your home, you tend to separate them into projects or problem and solution. And we wanted to look at the home more holistically um, because this is where we spend most of our time. And generally speaking, whether you're trying to tackle a bug or you're cleaning up a spill, it's really a reflection, a reflection of the love that you have for the people that live inside your home with you. Um, and, and that's inclusive of pets, partners, or even yourself. Yeah, yeah. So PEST requires high levels of efficacy. Uh, and we've been very fortunate to work with folks that have given us a leg up um, on efficacy. And as an example, our, our mosquito spray, we have recorded 10 plus hours of 100% repellency, which uh, comparably is, is up there with a, a very conventional repellent like DEET. Um, but Ours is made of essential oils predominantly, as well as some plant-based ingredients. Um, we have vitamin E that's a skin moisturizer in there. We have a beauty grade ingredient that actually uh, helps do what's called in perfume dry down. So it helps dry down the, the uh, formula faster on your skin. Um, so, so again, this is where we're trying to provide comparable levels of efficacy along with unique uh, accretive health, wellness, and or experiential additives that make a big difference with the, the consumer um, and how not only they view it, but also uh, how it feels. 
So in building on that then, Matt, maybe we kind of step back just a second. You got to tell us the brand story. Why is it called Aunt Fanny's and what's your vision for it? Yeah, so Aunt Fanny's is actually a nod to my grandmother. Um, she is one of these, uh, I'll call it brutal truth tellers, but it comes from a loving, a loving place. The, the best example I can give you is that um, you know, you haven't seen her in a couple of months and you walk into the room and her arms go out very wide and, you know, you start to walk toward her and then they get more onto your cheeks and then she's got your cheeks and then she kind of looks you up and down and then gives you this big kiss on the cheek. And then as she's letting you go, she's like, oh, so I see you're wearing more makeup lately, or I see you put on a few pounds or, you know, whatever it might be. And so, you know, it comes from a place of love, like it's, 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 it, she cares, but she's also not going to shy away from being a truth teller. Um, and so we always wanted to channel that with the brand. We didn't want to be a fear monger. We didn't want to uh, wag our finger at other brands. We didn't want to um, get into this, you know, situation. We, all we wanted to do is be a loving truth teller. Uh, and so that's our goal is to talk about what value we bring to the table uh, and, and validate it through third-party testing and others. But, but Aunt Fanny's is a nod to her uh, because that is the, the mantra at Aunt Fanny's is lo loving truth-telling. Love that. And where are you going with this? What's your, what's your vision for Aunt Fanny's? And if, if we catch up you know, five years from now, what, what would it look like? What will it look yeah, like? Man. I think, I think we are, I mean, listen, so at this point we're, we're a national brand. Um, we're in retailers like Target uh, at Mass. We're in, you know, I'll call it bellwether uh, conventional grocers like HEB. We've got some extraordinary uh, partnerships uh, with both online marketplaces and e-tailers. Um, and so, you know, we, we continue to, to grow with our existing product offering, um, but we also continue to innovate. And I think we've got some things coming down the pike here in the next 12 months that we believe are going to be pretty game changing in the space, uh, particularly cleaning. Um, and we're excited about, about the IP we have around it and it's, it's self-developed. And so you know, I think that we're, we're expecting not only the culture of what we bring to the consumer to continue to resonate, but we believe the products that we bring to the consumer are going to continue to resonate. Um, and, you know, been, we've been lucky to partner with great retailers and great e-tailers and, um, you know, knock on wood, we've never, we've never been booted from one. We've always gotten in and it either expanded our, our footprint uh, or expanded our, our SKU count and footprint. So, um, you know, I think we, we treat our retailers pretty well, our consumers treat us pretty well, and the virtuous circle continues, so. Matt, you've made this sound oh so simple, yeah, but actually you've given it as kind of one page, but I'm sure there's chapters to what you brought and learned along the way to build this successful brand. So. Just to you know, evoke an understanding, and and, um, and this shows about what I wish I knew for the listeners. Just describe some of the the major milestones along the way. You know what what happened in terms of how you positioned this brand. How did you how did you decide to find who your shopper is or or your consumer? Um, have you made the success of the retailers along the way? I'm I'm sure 
you know, 24-7, you've had issues and challenges, but just share a couple of those major, major uh, barriers, I guess. I view entrepreneurship, uh, and it's, it's fairly vivid, but it's like being in the Coliseum and having your head underneath the foot in the dirt uh, of a gladiator and, and wondering how you're going to get yourself out of this situation because you're already bruised, you're already bloodied, you're already battered. Uh, but somehow, and you never really know how, you manage to, to eke yourself out of that uh, stranglehold, get back up and then get enough to get knocked around again. And, and so I think, um, you know, there are, there, I mean, I've got endless number of examples of nightmare grade stories that uh, are, you know, where, where things really went wrong. But I think the, the toughest part really was, was in the beginning. I mean, just the learning curve was so steep. And I think about, um, you know, I, I started in my kitchen and then uh, mom booted me out of the kitchen because there was enough space and she was, you know, taking care of the kids. So in, in the most um, stereotypical way, then I, I started in my garage um, and started working from there. But I can remember sitting on a box with my laptop in my garage and trying to figure out where I was going to source ingredients from. I knew the ingredients that I needed, but I didn't know how to buy them in bulk. And so I'm not kidding you. I was on the computer for probably 12 hours, just trying to find one place to source it. I had a semi roll up to my house with this ingredient that I spent days trying to find. Uh, and of course, I don't have a loading dock. Uh, it's just my house in the rolling hills of South Carolina. Um, and uh, they have a lift coming off the back of the truck. And so uh, we start to lower the lift and suddenly the, the tote starts to list. Uh, fortunately, we managed to keep the tote on the lift, get it down onto the ground um, with a pallet jack. But unfortunately, um, the driver decides to release the pallet jack and my toe was under the tote. Mm. Um, so fortunately I didn't break anything, but it was me again, imagine this in the middle of a suburban neighborhood with a semi out front with this huge box of God knows what, that is on my <laughs> foot screaming. It's on my foot. It's on my foot. Lift the lift, lift, uh, just, you know, do what you need to do. Um, you know, so there's, I think that, that that's just a, a, an inkling of the types of things that, you know, you, you have as a stepping stone in learning um, and trying to figure some things out on your own. It's also what, what drives your motivation to cold call than people who are far more experienced than you are and say, hey, listen, I'm trying to do this. I, you know, I feel like I've got a good head on my shoulders, but I don't have experience in you know, this portion of the business. Would you be willing to help? And I think you know, you've got to, you've got to be vulnerable. You got to, you got to show your underbelly. And I think anyone who's been there knows exactly what you're going through. So, you know, if you're, you're what I call foxhole rated, if you've been in a foxhole before, you're going to help someone, even a stranger out in the next foxhole, because just, you know, what it's like to be in there. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been an interesting journey for sure. But, but Simon, you're right. Lots of stories, lots of challenges, and that's just one of the first that I can recollect. 
And on that note, then, Matt, I mean, some one of the things that we've heard consistently amongst the people that we've talked to is that, you know, there's an element of humility in their stories because they didn't know everything in advance. And even if they thought they did, they were sort of humbled by ultimately what happened. But there's also a kind of a common thread on with people that they're okay with that and they still figure things out. And, and maybe that's sort of a life lesson for everyone that, you know, if people can be resilient and humble enough to, to, to learn enough to figure things out, then that's probably a good thing. And as you look at, you know, your past or your past with the team, why or how do you think you've been able to figure things out? Yeah, I mean, listen, the, the best way to be good at something is to allow space for you to be bad at it for a, a while. You know, you, you're not going to immediately be get good at something. It's just, it's not the way the world works. And so anything worth doing takes, takes practice. It takes persistence. Um, and I think it takes not being too serious with yourself or at least too hard on yourself. And, you know, when our, I can remember kind of the first formation of, of our team, um, you know, it was a ragtag bunch. Like, you know, it was people who believed in a dream uh, and believed in, in what I wanted to, to build. And they were willing to do everything and anything in, in order to help. Um, and, you know, as time goes on, you start to get more specialists and people who are more experienced. Um, but in the early stages, you know, the more experienced people, while they might be willing to lend a hand um, in their free time, they aren't necessarily, you know, jumping at the chance to sign up for your endeavor. It's kind of like, well, I don't know, this, is this fly by night? Is this ship going to sink? Or, and, and if it does, I don't really want to sink on it. Um, and so <laughs> I, I do, I think, you know, you've got to have this blend of an evolution with your team over time. You've got to have those people that are willing to make mistakes with you. You've got to have a culture of um, hard work, but, uh, you know, being fallible, you know, it's just, it's, yeah. it's not going to be a right hundred percent of the time. And I, I do think that that's where some opportunity lies, you know, because you don't know, you don't make presumptions. Um, and when you don't make presumptions, you end up uncovering opportunities that you might not have otherwise. And Matt, you know, it's, it's a, you know, you talked about the unique positioning of these, um, uh, of the brand and the, and the product range, but you're, you know, I'm sure you agree with me, you're kind of a lightweight in a, in a heavyweight battle in, in some respects, you know, you're in a boxing ring, the category is, you know, is overplayed and overpresented by major brands with major amounts of money and all the rest of it. You know, we, we've seen around the world brands fighting, competing in various categories. What and, and how, you know, again, a learning people that listen, what and how did you do? And was there something different in, in how you made that a success? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great question. And, and you're right. I mean, we have, we've been able to punch above our weight class um, in a most astounding and surprising way, even to me. And some of that has to do with the people we've been able to get involved um, in the project. And so, you know, the, the founder uh, and former CEO, of Mrs. Myers and Caldrea Cleaning Brands uh, was uh one of our very early investors and one of our first board members. Um, you know, we, we've got uh, co-founders from uh, Thrive that are investors in the business. Uh, we've got 
uh, Mark Sisson, who, uh, you know, godfather of, of paleo, who, uh, you know, primal nutrition and primal kitchen. And, you know, so these are people that have done some extraordinary things in their lives and, and they've helped us sidestep uh, a lot of the early stage pitfalls that a company of our size might fall into. But I also think it comes down to our community and, and you've got to remember where, where I came from in that allergy community is how it started out in that autoimmune community. And I'll tell you, you know, and, and it's funny because an, an allergy mom will full on identify as an allergy mom. I mean, that's what they call themselves. And they are a, uh, a feisty, unwilling to accept an easy answer bunch. Um, and what happens is, is when you start to uh, affiliate by virtue of just being part of that community, um, word spreads on what you're doing and, and how you're doing it and your approach. And so we were lucky very early on to have communities like the like allergy moms or we have a really strong um, Lyme disease community customer base. Uh, one that's outside of health and wellness. We have a really large uh, brewery customer base. We have a fruit fly product that is world-class. Uh, and so we have breweries and wineries that buy that product. And so we've, we've been able to find these affinity groups that very early on, because we are part of a, of a culture and a movement um, and, and came from a place that we did that people were really excited about what we were doing and where we were going. And, and I think that's, what's given us the leg up um, in addition to the people that are, are, you know, experienced and have been there and done that. Um, it, it's really the message and the meaningful approach that we've taken that resonates with those communities. And over time that bleeds into the mass market um, because it becomes a little bit more normalized. And I think that's where we're at now uh, is that, we do have a bit more of the mass market that is saying, you know, as an example, there's clean beauty and, and beauty has also been fairly unregulated for a long time. Um, but clean beauty is all about, are these ingredients good for me? I don't just want them to look good on me. I, I want them to be good for me. Uh, and, and so we're, we take a nod from a lot of those uh, categories where it's like, you know what, why shouldn't we ask ourselves, why can't products like cleaning products be good for me? Not just in the direct aspect of cleaning something off the counter, but why do these have to have so many warnings? Why do in order to work? And, and so we wanted to kind of start from scratch and say, if we were to start cleaning again now, knowing what we know, um, how would we do it? And that's how we've approached it. Matt, I want to talk a little bit about the entrepreneurial journey and, you know, hearing you say, you know, you talk about community, you talk, to, there's a lot of we's thrown in there. At what point in your journey does it go from me to we as an entrepreneur and why or how? Well, I don't think it's the same for everyone. I mean, I, it was, it's, it's from day one been we for me, um, mainly because like I said earlier, there was just so much that I didn't know. And, and I, I, very openly asked for help. I mean, Monica Nassif, the, the founder and former CEO of Mrs. Myers and Caldrea, I mean, she'll tell you, she's like, I watched you stalk me on LinkedIn for like a year. And I, I cold, <laughs> cold messaged her and I said, here's what I'm working on. And she 
she told me she was willing to take my call. We talked, uh, we ended we talked a couple of times, then we met in San Francisco and then we talked a few more times and then we met again. And, you know, she finally realized I wasn't some nut job, um, <laughs> asking her for help or trying to rope her into something, um, that was untoward. Uh, and I think that, that goes a long way. I mean, I think when you have someone that invests in you and I don't, I don't mean monetarily, I mean, that's part of it, but when she, when she invests time and energy and insight, um, and candidly, even, even, you know, empathy, you know, there's, there's just so much that she, she gave to me, which in turn, uh, gave to the business. Um, and, and also very directly gave to the business, uh, with both advice and counsel and being on the board and, you know, you just, you can't, you can't replace that. And, and to me, someone who uses an I in that scenario um, is just telling a falsehood. Uh, you know, to me, entrepreneurship is all about the we because very few people I know that are entrepreneurs have ever gotten there by themselves. They've always done it with the help of other people. It's just a question of how much they recognize it or not. Mm. And Matt, um, you know, you've got a whole range of, of different products uh, 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 that are proven. I mean, I guess in some ways, the positivity here, I'm feeling that the stars are potentially aligned, in, you know, through the tragedy of COVID, to increase awareness, like, like you said, of, of uh, people caring or being able to care more for their families, etc. There would, you know, I'd see a propensity for an increase in your, in your products. Um, but how does that fit with your vision? You know, are you, are you targeting U.S. stroke other international areas? What's, what's your, your where, where you see yourself, as Mike alluded to earlier, but where do you physically see yourself in three or four years? Yeah, yeah longer term, we know we've got um, markets internationally and outside the U.S. Uh, I've, I've already made... Um, trips to Central and South America and, and met with the large um, grocers there as well as the large franchise operators for um, food service, actually like TGI Fridays, PF Chang's, hoteliers like uh, Hilton and the like. I mean, and so there's demand for our products, both um, in retail and in commercial um, yeah. and, and that's globally, not, not just domestically. And so um, you know, we recognize that those opportunities exist right now. There's, there's a large enough lump in the snake here domestically that we just, <laughs> we don't want to be a mile wide and an inch deep. Yeah. Um, PEST does take some unique registrations um, when you're going outside the country. Uh, but I, I think that we know the opportunities there. We are consistently reminded and contacted by those that are outside of the country that there's demand for our product, uh, and it, it's just not yet. Um, so, so longer term, you know, could we see our brand, uh, you know, something like a SE Johnson where, that does have a a global presence both in retail and commercial? A absolutely. Um, you know, I think we've we've got a unique play here in how we communicate to our customers and how our customers receive us. Um, and so, you know, we've got we've got quite a bit of runway ahead of us. But Matt, you've got a really exciting product. You've got a really exciting AF position. At the same time, you 
you're bringing you know a magical solution to a challenge and an issue you know a real problem that's worldwide you know do you not have in the back of your mind hey you know as an entrepreneur here but doing the right thing because your sense of purpose is, is you know is, is instinctively so so important here to say look let's leverage and let's get this off the ground in other markets quicker than I can manage by some other avenue. Yeah, so I, I do. I think we've got a goal ultimately of, of being global and going international. Um, and, and, you know, we've seen um, companies that have grown very fast and either lost, lost themselves or have, have tripped over themselves in trying to, to go as fast as they can. And I think I really feel compelled to be a, a, a good steward of the company to make sure that in these early days, um, and maybe even in, in the, the middle times of our journey, that the, the culture and North Star of what's being built is maintained and that it's ingrained enough that it isn't diluted at some point in time. Um, and so, I, I can appreciate and and understand the demand. I think we're trying to be mindful about our approach uh, and make sure that you know we we don't get a, a little ahead of ourselves. And I want to know, you know, Matt, if you think back about you know sort of the whole journey here, what do you wish you knew when you started? It's a great question, uh, and it's going to be it's almost going to sound inverse to what I've been saying as it relates to people, people of experience being brought to the table and they've been the most helpful. Um, it's actually not listening to the naysayers. And sometimes those are the people that are really experienced. Um, you really have to choose, uh, you have to pick, a, pick when and whom and why uh, you decide to not listen to a piece of advice and, and you really have to learn to listen to your inner voice. And it's really hard to listen to your inner voice. Um, there's so much competing on a, a social scale on just a, a level of convention and what we believe uh, is expected of us and how other people might judge us. And I think, you know, if you start to listen to your inner voice, it, it really grows and becomes strong. I think most people's is very weak um, to start and, and mine certainly was. I mean, it was, you know, it, barely a squeak, but I think over time, the more you exercise that inner voice, the stronger it gets. Uh, and, and you'll start to know in your heart and in your gut when to listen, when not to, and when to really stand your ground. But I think that, I think that was the toughest part um, is, you know, you're going to get a lot of opinions. Everybody, everybody's got one. And even if you don't ask for it, they're going to give it to you. Um, and I'm also someone who solicits feedback. So I, I want to know how ugly my baby is. It's, it's a, please tell me. Um, and not because, you know, I, I, I am a masochist. I, you know, I, I just, I just, I want to be the best we can be. And I want to know where the, the soft spots are in, in our business or our approach or our brand. Um, but, but yeah, I think it, it does. It's a tough call to decide when to take advice and when to leave it. So Matt, kind of circling back, you know, the, the trigger point for Aunt Fanny's and your entrepreneurial journey was your role as a parent. 
if you look back on both tracks, what you've learned as a parent and what you've learned as an entrepreneur and as a founder, is there any connection between the two or do you see any skill sets that are related that, you know, maybe have helped you in one or the other? You know, it's a great question. Uh, and I actually don't believe that in the earliest stages of parenthood or the earliest stages of entrepreneurship that they necessarily were complementary. I do think that you start to hone some skills as a parent um, and separately hone some skills as an entrepreneur that can be cross-pollinated. Uh, I will tell you now, having been six years into Aunt Fanny's and my kids being teenagers, that undoubtedly I am now a better parent and entrepreneur because <laughs> of both. But I think early on, it they, there wasn't much crossover. But now it's almost like I feel like I've got the whole Jedi mind trick with both. I can use things that I use with my kids in business and I can use things in business uh, with my kids. And it's this magical composition of like waving a wand or my hand and saying, oh, no, 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 no. I've, I've, I've dealt with this challenge before um, and I know that this is the unlock uh, with human psyche. So so the, the long answer is yes. Um, I know I started with a no. The long answer is definitely yes, you end up there. But I think to start, they're, they're quite different. And um, over time, they, they become a bit more similar and overlap. Well, that's fantastic. Well, Matt Franken, thanks so much for joining us. I mean, I look back on this conversation, you talk about, you know, really a story that tugs at the heartstrings and why you started this and what journey you were on. And then realizing that you weren't alone in your journey of finding solutions for your son and you you decided to find solutions for others and that ultimately became you know fanny's but it's really a fascinating story and and thank you so much for joining us well mike simon thank you i mean i appreciate the opportunity it's always a pleasure to be able to talk about what we're working on at aunt fanny's and um to ask all the insightful questions that you have um, that tickle my brain, both you know, past, present, and future. Uh, it's it's been a lovely chat. Well, thank you, Matt, and I've really enjoyed the fact you know you brought a sense of, of real purpose. Yeah, uh, as Mike alluded to, you know the stars are aligned for the future, and it's quite fascinating your your robustness of of, of stewardship and caring enough to say we're not going to go at this hammer and tongs. You know. We'll, we're going to do it in in an appropriate way. So, so the uh, a very best of luck. Thanks, Simon. Thanks, Mike. We do hope you enjoyed this podcast, and thanks for listening to What I Wish I Knew with Mike Irwin and Simon Dorn. Please join us at WhatIWishIKnewShow.com. You can subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Please share what I wish I knew with Mike Irwin and Simon Daw with your friends. We welcome your feedback and recommendations of new podcast guests and ideas on topics. If you have business challenges, we're also available for advisory and consulting roles. We'd be delighted to listen and help. Just send us an email. Our address is hello at what I wish I knew show.com. <laughs>